I'm excited to jump into God's Word. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 30 here in a few minutes. Um, I love, uh, I hate actually doing road trips. I hate driving on road trips, but I love road trips for one reason, and it's that I get to talk with my wife with like a lot of uninterrupted time. Our kids usually fall asleep in the car, which is really awesome that they do that. Otherwise, it'd be a nightmare. But they usually fall asleep, and then like we have peace and quiet for once. And so I love going on road trips because we usually sit down. I, I, I'm not looking at my phone, checking sports or my email or anything else, and we just talk. Our communication is so good when we're just on a road trip. Uh, anybody ever had like nice deep conversations on the road with somebody? Anybody like a road trips often provoke like just conversation and opportunity to talk. So I love that. Um, uh, about my relationship with Taryn, and uh, I was just thinking, we're we're in such a a busy society, even if you are not busy, like we like to tell people we're busy, and we're very proud of that, and oftentimes what kind of happens in the process is that communication gets backed up with God, because we're just kind of caught up in the routine of life. It happens in marriages, in marriage counseling all the time, whether it's premarital or like um, right in the middle of marital, (laughs) Um, uh, counseling, one of the things I always say is that the foundation, like if we're building a house, the foundation is trust. It's trust. But the plumbing that's running through that foundation is communication. And when communication gets backed up, the whole house starts to stink. And our lives start to stink. And some of us, if we were really honest, like there's a backup in our communication with God. Like there's, there's some things are backed up, and maybe your relationship with God isn't stinking yet. It hasn't got to that point. But you can tell something's clogged, and something's not functioning properly. There's something wrong. Maybe you've got a sink or a toilet in your house that just is a little bit funny, and uh, it doesn't always want to work properly. Something's clogged, and, and we need to take the time and figure out what we've got to do to unclog that, that, those pipes, that, that communication, because it's, it's vital um, to take care of us, our, our health and our direction and what God's doing in our life is really built off the foundation of trust, but communication is a vital part. And it blows me away so many times. Like believers, people that have been believers for more than one, two, three, four, five years, maybe 10, 15 years, and they're like, yeah, God doesn't speak to me. God doesn't speak to me like that. And I just want to take some time today and talk about making some room for God to speak making some room for God to speak, um, because it, it blows me away that we, we're not hearing God's voice, and I think we need to unpack maybe some of those things that are blocking us from hearing God's voice. And, and before I jump into that, God's big enough to get a message through, okay? So before I get into any of these blockades, he's big enough to break through every single one of them. So if you think that whatever is in your life that's just kind of too big, he's big enough to break through it. But if we'll do our part, he's going to do our, his part. He's always faithful, and we can trust him in that. So uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Um, and, and I want to share three blockades from hearing God's voice here in just a moment. Uh, but I found this text, God, God led me to this text, and it, it resonated. Woe to the obstinate children. Anybody just want to be honest, and you were an obstinate child? I'm raising my hand. And it's really hard, like if you were an obstinate child, and now you're raising an obstinate child, it's really hard to like get super mad at them, because like, I was just like you. And like my, your mom probably told you, you're, like, you're going to have one just like you, or worse. Some of your parents told you that, <laughs> my mom did. She's like, you're going to have a smart, smart aleck kid just like you are. Um, and, and I have one in the works, and so I'm going to try to curb that, break that curse in his life. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Um, 
who, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan, and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame. Every, uh, because of people useless because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Let me give you a little context. Sometimes when you're reading through the prophets, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah are like the big ones, and there's a lot of little ones in there, Obadiah, Micah, uh, Malachi, not Micah, Malachi. Um, we start going through those, and, and sometimes we, we don't know the context, so these like seem really heavy. Most of the context is found in First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings. So if you're ever wondering what in the world's going on here, reading those kind of alongside of those and doing some study around it really helps understand what it's saying. Because most of the time we go in and we're like, whoa, that's heavy prophecy. Um, so he, he's in a, um, it's um, the prophet Isaiah here. God's placed him strategically ministering and speaking truth into Israel's life during a, a time in which um, they had King Hezekiah, who was a good king. Uh, we're going to do a series later as we get closer to the election called Kings and Kingdoms. It's going to talk about good kings and bad kings and how do we live kind of amongst all, all of this good kings and, and bad kingdoms. Um, but uh, King Hezekiah was a good king. He was a good king. Um, but they had this people known as the Assyrians. Some of you have heard of this Assyrians. It's now modern day, like part of Iraq, part of Iran, part of Turkey. And that kind of makes up where Assyria, like their land was before. And they were a ruthless ruthless people. Think of like one of, I don't know, I guess the, the Taliban or uh, ISIS or something would be like the ruthless kind of domination type thing. You know, they always had different tactics, but they were going and they were coming after Israel. Like they wanted their land. Israel was split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, northern and south, southern. And they were coming in to, to take over the land. And so the people are afraid. They're really afraid. And if we go back and, and kind of Think through and read this with that. Let's go back and read it and now with some context and see. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. See, they wanted to go to Egypt. They wanted to go all these places to Pharaoh and have his protection, heaping sin upon sin. Woe, uh, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look to um, Pharaoh's protection to Egypt's shade and refuge. For, or shade for refuge, but Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame, Egypt's shame, shade uh, will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan, their envoys have arrived in Hanes. Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. And I, I think God, God was bringing this to my attention because Isaiah is in this place where he's trying to get the people to hear God's voice and to trust in God's voice and trust in his protection more than their plans, and more than anything else. And, and I think sometimes because we're kind of obstinate, or we're, we're, kind of, we're tuning God out or something, we're missing hearing God's voice and what his plans are in um, whatever situation we're going through. And so I want to talk about these three blockades. I posted this as a blog post about six weeks ago on one of my websites. And um, you know I, I want to unpack them, actually, and teach through them today. Uh, so the, the first kind of blockade to hearing God's voice is sin first blockade is sin. Um, for a long time, I kind of went through my life uh, after I'd even said yes to the Lord, 
and I, um, I wanted to hear his voice. And I saw people around me who had this intimate relationship with God. And it started out like that, and I was like on fire. But then over time, like, I, I wasn't hearing his voice, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And many times, like, Jesus has set us free from the bondage of sin, but yet we're still enslaved to sin. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem. That's a big problem, and it's a major factor in why we can't hear God's voice. When we allow patterns of sin to continue in our life, it's like choosing to stay a slave when you've been given freedom. It just doesn't make sense. It's like we are free, yet we choose to continue to live in bondage. Like, why would we do that? Uh, but that's many times, that's how we live. Look at verses 12 through 14 in chapter 30. And we scoot down and it says this right here. This sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. We become useless. Like our, our, and, and sometimes we don't notice it, and that's why God give, has given us the body of Christ and relationships with one another to help identify maybe some cracks in our character, to reveal some patterns of sin that we're allowing to continue. And if we're not careful, it's going to be like this wall that busts at some point. Because what's happened is we get really comfortable with our sin. We get really comfortable and we treat it like a little pet, like our little pet rock that, that we're just going to take care of and we're never going like, to root it out of our, our lives. But it's a pattern of sin and it's going to crush. It's going to be shattered mercilessly, mercilessly. Because God's a holy God and, and he, he wants to make us holy. He's made us holy through Christ. And let me just go ahead and, and preach Romans 8.1. Like there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if because of your sin, if you start feeling God condemning you, that's not of God. If you are in Christ, you've made a decision to follow Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I was walking for many years because I didn't understand that the, the foundation of the gospel was not based on my performance. It was not based on how good I was or how good I kept at the rules. If, if that's the gospel you believe and, and you feel like you've fallen off this giant ladder every time you, you sin and, and there's some emotional things and consequential things that we have to live with that feel like that, but, by, but our, our depth of our understanding is not a workspace. Like we're working our way to heaven. We're climbing our stairway to heaven. No, that, that's, a, that's a false gospel. That's a workspace gospel and that's not what we see. It's by grace we've been saved by faith or through faith. So we can't allow ourselves to go into that place where we feel like God's condemning us because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we do have to get to a place where we break this pattern and just flip over a few chapters from Romans 8 and Romans 12.1, and it says, um, no longer conform to the patterns of this world, the sinful patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is, good and pleasing will. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so we have to um, begin this process of how do we break, how do we break this pattern of sin in our life? Because if we'll go through the list in here and each of us be like, yeah, jealousy is really an issue for me. It's been an issue um, for me for a long time, um, whatever it might be, uh, abusing prescription drugs or whatever, and like just breaking some of these, um, maybe we wouldn't label that as a sin, but it's an addiction, and we're trying to fill a, a, a void in which God wants to fill. Maybe uh, addicted to pornography or something else, something not keeping purity in our mind. Whatever that sin might be, it begins with renewing our mind. I mean, I don't, I don't make up what's right and wrong. 
I renew my mind. I allow God to transform me. I don't connect anymore to the patterns of this world. Some of us walk too far into the faith, and nothing, we don't let God transform us because we're obstinate, because we're stubborn. All right, can somebody be honest and be like, yeah, that's been me. I, I've, like, I've been going for the past couple years and nothing's changing. God's not doing anything fresh in my life. It's not because God's not speaking or not because he doesn't want to speak. We're just stubborn. And we're not letting him transform us. We're not submitting ourselves. We're not re- letting him renew our minds. We're not renewing our minds. And so something's got to change. Uh, renew your mind. Flee. Like resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I mean, go to um, James chapter 4. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's a powerful thought. Some of us like to play patty cake with our sins. Uh, I was actually um, mowing the other day, and as I was mowing, this giant black snake came out in front of me. And you, I, I didn't squeal like a little girl. I could have. I could have squealed like a little girl. But um, I, I saw the snake, and I flipped out, of course, and I turned around, and I took off. And God just kind of hit me right in that moment, uh, because it was this week. Hit me right in that moment. Resist the devil and I'll flee from you because that snake took off. I didn't sit there and play with him and like pick him up. And at some point I'm going to get bit. Like it's very clear like what the enemy wants to do in our life. The scriptures tell us this. You've seen this as a pattern in your life. The enemy seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I would say if we go back to that verse 14, mercilessly. That we crack and destroy mercilessly to a place where it's no longer useful. So that's what sin wants to do. That's what the enemy wants to do in your life. So we've got to flee from sin. Romans, uh, um, excuse me, James, I think four, seven. Flee from sin. Resist the devil and he'll um, flee from you. And then um, lastly, confess and repent. Um, some of you come from uh, maybe a, a Catholic background or maybe you come from a more evangelical background in which confession or accountability was used a lot. There was like this big thing like in the church and like we're going to bring accountability to our people. Um, and there's nothing wrong with either of those things. They're, they're biblical things. Um, but it's important that we understand like the essence of what confession and it's really about repentance, right? I mean, there, there's a giant crack and flaw in some of the practices that we have um, in, in certain movements um, that we confess and we think that like, but we just keep doing what we do. We, like, we just keep letting that pattern of sin happen. And there's not a real repentance in which we turn our direction and we flee from that sin and, and we um, uh, stop that pattern of sin. So confessing and repenting regularly is of a, a, a very high importance. It breaks down pride. When you have to confess that sin, even if it wasn't done to someone else, when you have to say that, it, it, it does create some accountability, but it also breaks down pride. Because when we just continue to hold sin in and of ourselves and we don't confess it, we're not doing that, we're just kind of keeping up a mask and a facade about who we really are and what's really going on. And when we follow the scripture, James chapter 5, that says confess one to another, like when we do that, it actually does help break down pride, which I believe is the root of every sin. It's the first sin and, and Lucifer's fall from heaven, he, he, it was pride. And the very last sin, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that pride will be eliminated from every single one of us. We'll be, we'll be confronted, we'll be humbled. Um, so anyway, sin, um, to hear God's voice, we've got to get sin of our life. Israel was dealing with this in a very straightforward way. So here's a few things to help break those, to remove that blockade from our life so we can begin to hear God's voice. For the longest time, I wanted that intimacy. I didn't know what the big problem was, but I was allowing sins to just be a pattern in my life. And then I read this scripture that says, no one that makes a pattern of sinning can be called a friend of God. 
we don't keep on doing it. We don't let the patterns go and continue to just think that everything's okay. So uh, let's move on. Uh, The second thing is busyness. Busyness. Any of you that have ever walked into the office here uh, on a given day, or if you know me well, you know that um, I'm, I'm usually pretty busy, uh, and I'm a crazy multitasker. Anybody like to multitask? I like to multitask. You'll usually walk in on me, and I've got two screens going. I've got a stack of books here. I've got sticky notes all over the place, things to do later in the day, and I'm usually talking on the phone or texting somebody, right? I've just got like, a, like so many things going on. And in busyness, uh, and I'll begin to talk a little bit more uh, about Sabbath and my kind of story as a workaholic. I'll share that more here in the coming weeks. But busyness is something that many times we can think that um, we can just continue to use it as an excuse. Look at at what the text here says in verses 15 uh, 15 or 16. Yeah, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. We're in the same text here. Following verse. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Like, God's saying, your strength isn't in your ability to take off and find solutions for everything, right? Many times that's what we want to do. Instead of wait and patiently and find rest and trust and strength and trusting in God, we want to come up with solutions and be super busy and feel like we're really pleasing God with all of our busyness, but Many times that's not the case. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. Yeah. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagship on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Just simply a remembrance of what you used to be. Because of your busyness and thinking that you could go make all this happen and, and work all these alliances for your protection. When God's saying, I'm your protection. Like, I'm your direction. I'm going to give you every step to take. But many times we, tr- we trust in ourselves, And that's, that's kind of the core of what I learned in being a recovering workaholic. Is that I was trusting more in my, my own ability to work than I was in God's ability He can do so much more when I'm resting than when I'm actually working hard. Think about that. God can do more while we're sitting still doing nothing than what we can do in a 24-hour period trying to work everything and make everything perfect, right? You've got one of those situations that you're trying to work all things to the good for your good, right? And God's just saying, I'm going to work everything for the good of those who love me. And so many times when we're moving in and we're taking the wheel, like I I think of um, working with my son on some of the woodworking projects I like to work on. And if he keeps taking over and he wants to do things, it's not going to be as good as I would do it. And so that doesn't mean I micromanage him his whole life. All right, that's a whole other parenting, whatever deal, leadership deal. But if if he keeps taking over and, and he won't let me do it, it won't get done right. It won't get done in the image, in the plans that we have. And the same thing is with God. If we keep taking it and not resting and trusting in him, then we're going to miss out on his perfect plan. Um, and so when it comes to busyness, I think there's a couple things I want to encourage you. First of all, don't use busyness as an excuse. When busyness is an excuse, um, we really um, just limited ourselves. We limit ourselves. Um, and really, it's not a problem of busyness. Is not really our problem. Um, it's, it's usually a priority problem, right? Because we just kind of get moving in our life, and we don't really slow down and say, God, I'm listening. 
God, I'm listening. When's this time to actually rest and, and trust in him? Um, we always have to come up with a solution ourselves instead of just wait, just wait, watch God work. And that, that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole other dynamic that I've learned in the past several years is just truly resting in God. Not where I'm like, hey, I'm resting, but I'm still a mental and emotional mess and like stressing 24-7, right? That's not, that's not resting. Like, I'm just going to give this to God, and then I stress about it 24-7. No, you haven't really given it to the Lord. You've just said it, and you're not really living it. And it's much tougher to actually say, God, help me. And it takes some deep drilling down for why we, we deal with some of the issues that we're dealing with. Um, let, me, let me give you three quick things um, here on, on busyness. One is come expecting Come expecting. Look, I, I think I turned this piano off, but I want to teach you something. I used to teach music. I teach voice, guitar, and piano. And one of the things about music, one of the things I was ter- about, terrible about when I was in school, I, I went and studied uh, music business. Um, and one of the things I was terrible about was ear training. My ear was not very trained. Sorry, this is like echoing off of something. Um, but I, I want to do a little exercise with you to show you how this works, okay? So I'm going to play a chord, and I want you to pick out the C note. Okay, we're going to see if anybody has perfect pitch in the house, okay? Am I on here? Okay, so here's, pick out the C. Do you hear the C? I'm playing an F chord, so no, that's, that's the F. <laughs> anybody hear the C? Anybody perfect pitch? Nope, that's the F. I'm not playing, I said I'm playing an F chord. So anyway, the C is here. So now here, try to hear and sing the C. Do you hear it stronger? Can hear. You can hear it a little better when you tune your ear to it first. I think many times we, we take off, and, and I, I remember hearing folks that were further uh, than me in the faith for many years saying, I always start my day with the Lord, and it just sets, you ever hear somebody say that? And it just changes my whole day. And I always think, you know how I like to start my day? Going back to bed. That's how I like to start my day. And then um, I had kids, and I start my day by waking up, and one of my son, um, Beckett, our oldest, when he was just being potty trained, he would wake up in the morning, and that is when he did his number twos, first thing in the morning. And so my alarm clock at like 5.30 was, wipe my butt, dad, wipe my butt. That was like my alarm clock. It might as well have been on my phone, and dad, wipe my butt. Um, that was, so now I wake up much earlier than what I used to. Um, but one of the things, I, I've, I've began to adapt that, really starting my day with the Lord and opening my ear and tuning my ear to his voice and saying, God, I'm, I'm rushing to grab breakfast and everything this morning. I'm running, kind of running through my day and my routine. Um, but I want to hear your voice today. Open a door. It, it's not a matter of me um, spending an hour with God necessarily in the morning. It's just tuning my ear, getting that first note. God saying, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm expecting. And then it's a little bit easier to tune when all the noise comes in of life, all the busyness comes in life. I just tune my ear and say, God, what are you saying in this? What, what's this situation about? Is this something I should pursue? Is this something I not? Sh- I, I should just rest and let you take care of. I tune my ear. So come expecting. The second thing is establish a routine. Um, everything else gets on our calendar. Our weekend at the lake with friends, our girls and guys nights, our uh, family game nights, our uh, family get together. Everything makes it on our calendar. Business meetings, everything makes it on the calendar. You know what rarely makes it on our calendar is the time when we are going to spend with God. Just, just us and him. How come everything else in this world can find a place on our calendar, but our relationship with God does not? 
It, there was, Jesus had a routine of slipping away constantly. Look through the Gospels. Jesus constantly slipped away to find quiet and be with the Lord. Constantly. And usually it was in enough range for his disciples to overhear prayer because uh, prayer, that was like a free sermon for them. If they could just hear Jesus' prayer, they got this free sermon by overhearing it. But he constantly slips away. He does these incredible miracles and he takes off. <laughs> he's not going to bask in the glory of what just happened. He feeds the 5,000. He's like, I'm taking off across the river, guys, to get away and to be with God. It was constantly in his routine to just be with the Lord, establish a routine. One of the authors I listened to and have read his stuff, uh, Pete Scazzaro up in New York, he says, um, have the daily offices. Just like you would go into um, someone that, uh, that you work for or something, go into their office and sit down and talk about what's going on. Or you'd sit down, you had that place with a mom or a friend where you sit down and unpack those things. What's your daily office? Have not not just one time where you sit down with God, but but just be be reaching for bread all day long and say, God, just a little nugget, just open us the scripture and encouragement, just to keep going. So and then be persistent in listening. Look what First Chronicles, I think it's sixteen eleven says: Seek the Lord in His strength, seek His face continually, constantly. Just be seeking God's face, like in the busyness. Like there's a lot of noise. There's more advertising than what we can care. Like every link we click has an advertisement we accidentally. Click, click. There's so much noise everywhere we go. If we're going to tune our, our ears and really hear his voice, we got to keep seeking him and not just think like this maybe hour we set aside on Sundays or in a small group or, or, or the 10 minutes here and there. Seek his face continually, just continually, just throughout the day. God, what are you saying in this? What are you saying in this? What are you saying in this? I begin to ask the questions of the Lord because he's longing to answer. God wants to talk to us. He wants to talk to us. So busyness is a second blockade that we've got to work out of our life. We can do that by really raising our level of expectation and quit making excuses about busyness. Really prioritize, put them on our schedule, um, which, which might sound unspiritual, but that's probably the most spiritual thing you could probably do is to say, God, you're first. I'm not going to let you get the leftovers. I'm going to give you the first in the day or throughout my day. I'm going to give you the first and the best. That's why I have to do it in the morning, because at the end of the night, I'm toast and I can't think anymore. I'm over it. I'm tired of talking. I'm tired of thinking. I just want to rest. So um, busyness. Third and final thing is a false perception, a false perspective or a false perception of God. Many times when I hear people say, well, God doesn't speak to me like that, I want to respond with another question. Well, how does God speak? I know you say he doesn't speak to me like that. What, what are you saying how he actually speaks? How do you think he, he speaks? Because let me tell you this. Like God speaks through his Holy Spirit, speaks to us individually, regularly. It, it, as we just grow in him, we can tune our, our ears to his voice. He speaks to us constantly. Um, but if he never does that again, if he never does that again, if he never gives like an extra like special word for us just in this day, he's spoken more than what he ever needs to. But he loves us enough. Hey, when Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to, it's good that I leave because a comforter will come, the Holy Spirit will come, and uh, the paraclete means to come alongside of you. That's what the, the, the um, paraclete, that's the Greek term for it, uh, for the Holy Spirit, means to come alongside. The Holy Spirit walks us through, so he does that. But even if he, he, he didn't, like God has given us enough. And God, how does God speak? He speaks in two ways, but let's, before we do that, let's go to the verse, because it's so powerful right here. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. We can't, can't think that God's not wanting to speak to us. He longs 
to be gracious to you. This is Israel, his obstinate children. He longs to be, like, my kids that are stubborn, I don't, I don't get upset with them. I still just want to be gracious to them. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. We're in such an instant society. You'd be like, God, hey, uh, can I have an answer to this real quick? <laughs> and we're just like looking for an answer. Like, we want to pop in the microwave 30 seconds. I haven't heard from God. I just, I did ask him about it right before we got here. Um, I haven't heard from him yet. But we've been busy talking the whole time. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord, I love this. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. We love to watch that show, American Ninja Warrior. Some of you guys will like that. And I tear up way too much in that show. Uh, But I really like it. And we were watching a a rerun of it. um, And uh, there was... There's this guy that he's 42. His wife had passed away of a disease. He has two young sons. And he was wearing this shirt, and, and all of his family and friends that were gathered were wearing this shirt that said, Adversity is fuel. Adversity is fuel. Like, yeah, bro, go for it. Um, but look at that the bread of adversity, that there is something that we are, that God gives us that, and it actually sustains us, it challenges us. I've told the story before of a young man who was interning with Mother Teresa. And he was going through a very difficult thing relationally. He was doing a long-distance relationship. And he said, Mother Teresa, will you pray for me? I'm going through such a difficult time. And she said, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Like we think of Mother Teresa, like, yes, son, I'll pray for you and laying hands on her or whatever. And God, of course, hears Mother Teresa's prayers. Um, no, she didn't. She said, no, I'm not praying for you because God's working in that. Like that, that adversity can be bred to your soul in the water of affliction. Your teachers will be hidden no more. And with your own eyes, you will see them. Listen to this. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God speaks. Like We can't say, God's not speaking. He's already spoken. He speaks in, in many ways. A couple ways he speaks. One is gen- what's called general revelation, that God spoke through creation. God has spoke through creation um, Romans um, 1, uh, verses 18 through 20. Throw those up there real quick. But here's just verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That even in creation himself, like in creation itself, the creation resounds volume to who God is. I mean, it doesn't take but just one epic moment of seeing creation, whether it's a sunset or a view of the mountains or or the Grand Canyon. It doesn't take but just a second, and you'd be like, this didn't happen on accident. Like, and and we're just awakened. Our hearts are awakened to that. So he's spoken through creation, even even before, like, the Bible. Like, we're still without excuse. Even without the Holy Spirit, we're still without excuse because he's spoken through creation. Creation. So in that, um, just his, his uh, creative nature and the, uh, the morality as well, um, that there's something inside of us that knows right and wrong. Second thing is, is what's known as special revelation. Special revelation. There's general revelation that he spoke to creation. We've all seen that in creation. The creation reflects the creator. And then the, 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 um, the second thing is special revelation, which is the Bible and the Holy Spirit, that God has revealed himself. God speaks through the scriptures. That God speaks through the scriptures. 
So when we say God's not speaking, we're like, he's already spoken. <laughs> he's already spoken so much. Now, we may be asking very specific questions about very specific things. Maybe the scriptures don't cover in detail. Maybe they do, and we're just not reading it. Um, but you can go ahead and throw that up there. Special Revelation is the second one. Um, and within that is the Bible and uh, the Holy Spirit that God speaks through that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16. Um, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to be equipped to do what he's called you to do in life. And he's literally, he's breathed out, he inspired men and women that have walked with him and faith in him, good, bad, ugly, good times and bad, God breathed it out of his mouth into their spirits and they took it down. So the scripture is God breathed so we can trust it. We can trust it. Uh, And we can have all these great conversations uh, about understanding contextual stuff and transmission, all these different other conversations. But when it comes down to it, God breathed it and it's useful for us being equipped to do the work of God. And I think I'll just kind of end on this note this morning that, so how, how do we know? How do we know that this is God speaking? That's one of the things I struggle with for a long time, and many of you may be struggling with. How do I know that this is God speaking to me? How do I know that's not me speaking? You ever have to ask your, God, is this me talking, or is this you talking? Because it sort of sounds like me talking. I would kind of, this kind of sounds cool. I'd like to run with this. How do we know? How do we know? Just a couple of thoughts, and a um, couple of thoughts here is how do we filter, how do we filter the truth? First of all, we filter it through God's word. Literally think of this like a strainer where we let all the stuff that's not true go through, and everything that's true we take and we consume into who we are. So we use the Bible as, as a, a, a a colander, maybe that's the right thought there, some kind of filter to catch all of the bacteria, all the garbage that we don't want to be intaking. That's not God's plan. That's not. This is it. This is, this is God's breathed, right? Another place, a lot of times people run to people before we run to God, and that's what God was getting. You're making plans outside of me, right? And he just wants, he wants you to know that you can hear his voice. You can hear his, his voice behind you, whether you go left or whether you go right, this is the way. Walk in it. <laughs> people get frustrated when people are like, how do you know if he or she is the one? How do you know? And people always hate the answer, and no one has a better one. Well, you just kind of know, right? And we make up all these other answers, these other things. But you just kind of know. People hate that answer. But I think the same thing becomes true when walking in the will of God after we filter it through God's word and we can just say, we just hear a still small voice. So sometimes we're just looking for the big audible voice, right, for God to speak. Sometimes we're looking for the billboard. Sometimes we're looking for the message that was just right on point, finally, to what I was thinking about. It's been about everybody else, but God really spoke to me today. But you know what I learned for a long time? Because I grew up in church. Um, but by the time I was uh, in high school, I was sick of church. Like, I was sick of it. I was sick of coming. Um, I'd heard enough messages that felt like would last me for my life. And um, 
when I was in college, I was really just trying to understand and explore who God had created me to be and my real relationship with him. And one of the things that began to happen is I found myself in, in many more church services. And I'd be like, well, that wasn't for me. That wasn't for me. That wasn't for me. Is tuning my voice or tuning my ear beyond the voice that God was speaking through into what God was speaking to me. And I think the same thing with everything around us, with all of creation, that God speaks to us, then we filter it through God's word, and that is which is left, which is true. We receive a substance for, for our walk, and then we just know the ways as we listen to God's voice. So I don't know where this is resonating with you. I, I pray that it can help um, some of you who are just like, God doesn't speak to me that way. God has spoken. He is speaking. He's alive. Let, let's work to remove, do the, what we can do in the natural and know that he is more than capable to do the supernatural. We just got to do our part in the little things that he calls us into. So I want to ask you to stand. Um, these guys are going to lead us in a song. Before we do, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite us to the table to celebrate the joy of communion. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just the power of your presence and the power of your word that is so alive, and it is sharp. It's sharp, God. It's cutting me this morning. It's reminding me of just how close you are, God, and, and to not make excuses, God. And I just pray that we would just find ourselves just sinking deep into your heart, into your presence, and just listening to what you are doing in our life right now. Um, I thank you uh, that we are able to gather and worship today, God. Uh, as we were worshiping earlier, God, I just got this, I got this beautiful picture of, of people of every nation and every tongue around the world coming together, whether it's right now or somewhere in this, this Sabbath, God, that we just rest and declare how good you are. We break bread and we drink the cup today, God, to just celebrate the resurrection to celebrate who you are, to celebrate that you will return for us, to, to celebrate your very tangible presence, God, alive in us, alive in us. We thank you for this day and this joy to celebrate in Christ's name. Amen.